Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. This is your Prairie Grouse Primer podcast because that's right, folks. Upland bird hunting season is almost, almost here with the, uh, the first season's opening up on September 1st. Hopefully you are as jacked up as the three folks sitting around the table. Um, you can tell in my voice, I am jacked up and ready to go. The other two gentlemen I'm talking about, frequent contributors to On The Wing Podcast, editor of the Pheasants Forever Journal, Tom Carp Carpenter. Welcome. Thank you. Here again. Here again. Excited to talk prairie grouse and, and joining us, oh. rounding out our trio. I'd note that in one of his emails, he put Tom Panukas as his title, <laughs> which is the genus name of the prairie grouse. Yep, t- Tim Panukas, both chickens and sharp tails yep. are Tim Panukas. And, um, It'd be so better I'm if your name was Tim, but yeah. it's close enough. <laughs> so I put Tom Panukas. <laughs> well... And, the, and the, the third voice you hear is our biologist for this particular podcast, Sabin Adams, joining us for your second episode. Thanks for coming into the office, Sabin. Excited to be talking Prairie Grouse. Um, the season's right around the corner. Now. <laughs> we we <laughs> didn't have to leverage his elbow too much to get him down here. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk Prairie Grouse all day long. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and that's true because I... I just floated you an email. Hey, you want to come in for this episode? Said, Name the time and the place and I'll be there. <laughs> and I picked the right guy uh, to join us, Carp, because you are going to open up the season. I guess none of us are, are able to open up the season on September 1st like um, a few of us did last year. But you, Sabin, have the very first hunt. Yep. of the three of us coming up on the second weekend of the Montana season, September 7th. You're going to be out in Big Sky. Yep, heading out to Montana that second weekend. I'm going to get out of here, out of Minnesota, as soon as I can, but I got some obligations the first week of September that are going to keep me stuck here. But <laughs> it's tough when the first falls on a Sunday. Yeah, that's Makes about the toughest day of the week. Yep, yep. <clears throat> yeah, oh. well, and I think um, – well, it is Labor Day weekend, too, which is what complicated factors for me this mm-hmm. particular year. I, I mentioned in yep. the Super Issue article that is hopefully sitting on all of our mem- Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever members' coffee tables. I uh, mentioned in the horseback hunting article that I had protected that weekend a year ago i have it here i forget what you said it was uh, pretty good you just like a hockey goalie yeah like a stanley cup stanley cup goalie um, but i was not as successful this year because the invitation to return um on horseback and big sky came my way from my buddy john zeman and i just unfortunately won't be able to make it out there but i've got prairie grouse hunts on the calendar just not september 1 this year which is unfortunate because the prospects in Montana in particular look a little bit better than they did a year ago, which is the point of this podcast. Uh, as folks know, our, our prairie grouse primer, 
And yes, we're going with the pronunciation of primer <laughs> as opposed to primer. I've made that executive decision whether or not it's right. The Prairie Grouse Primer is now live at pheasantsforever.org. Well, there's a case that it's both. Because <laughs> a primer he said executive decision, <laughs> and I'm fine with that. He he gets he gets to make some of those, but a primer is you know a, a lesson, an instruction, the the background, the details, the and and a primer is. Let's get going. Well, that is perfect. Exactly. Right? So I'm, I'm on board. This is your PGP, your Prairie Grouse Primer. primer. What do you call the part in the shotgun shell? The primer. The primer. Oh, so yeah. We should stick with that. Light it up, baby. <laughs> I, I think I see some graphics for next year's Prairie Grouse Primer. You're going to love this year's when you see it. Uh, well, when you see it, uh, and we do encourage folks to go read it online. It's got great detail. It's brought to you by the Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism because they want you to go check out Kansas for prairie grouse, pheasants, quail, and I would endorse that because it's one of the uh, one of the best places to go find a mixed bag. And we will talk uh, beyond Kansas, obviously. We're going to talk about all your key prairie grouse states. We're going to give a little bit of um, a forecast for sage grouse, for sharp-tailed grouse, and for uh, greater prairie chickens over the course of the this particular episode. And, and carp and sabin are two of the more... What's the right What's the right adjective? Because I, I hate just using the word avid, right? Um, I, committed. Well, I <laughs> we was should, thinking of we crazy. Should be. I'm I'm being careful what I say. Yeah. <laughs> well, myself enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, right? sure. so, that's a good. Yeah, word. that's a good. Um, word. All three of us, um, we love pheasants, we love quail, but we also love chasing prairie grouse out on the prairie. And, you know, let's be honest, it's a little bit different hunting prairie grouse Mm -hmm. than it is pheasants or quail. Um, And, uh, you know, they they need slightly different habitat. Um, And I say slightly because the work we do at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever absolutely 100% benefits sage grouse, prairie chickens, and sharptails. But when you're hunting them in the fall, there's a couple of slight keys tips tricks that are a little bit different than what you where you might be looking for an old long tail and we're gonna we're gonna touch on that as we go um and i guess the 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 best place to start though is to talk about some of the habitat needs of prairie grouse which sabin is is your sweet spot as a biologist when you know, we, we've talked on this podcast before about, particularly in the cattle episode with Chris McClellan, because we touched on prairie grouse and, and the role mm-hmm. that cattle play in grazing, um, not only for pheasants, but for, for prairie grouse as well. There, when you're looking at a landscape for prairie grouse from a habitat perspective, they need a few different things compared to pheasants and quail. Give us a kind of an overview of some of the differences. Well, to me, the biggest difference that you'd find between pheasants and quail and the native prairie grouse species is the size of the habitat that they need. Um, A lot of times it's the same kinds of habitat, grassland habitat. You like a lot of diversity, you like a lot of forbs in there. You don't want a lot of trees on the landscape that are going to be nest purchased for hawks in the the breeding season. Um, But big complexes of grass and in the case of sage grouse it's big open areas for of sage grouse habitat yeah Yeah. 
Yeah, I've, I've heard um, discussion, you know, pheasants will nest underneath a tree, you know, no, no concerns there. Same thing with quail, obviously. Quail are even more oriented to being around some trees, particularly as you head into the southeast. But a prairie grouse, if there's tree, a tree, they, you know, they will not drop a nest anywhere near it. They, they need the, um, they avoid the horizon mm-hmm. to be completely open. Yep, and I think um, even pheasants, to some extent, uh, they're going to avoid trees. The ones that know where the predators live, you know, you learn from experience, are, are going to do their best. I think there's some research on this as well, that they're avoiding those tall, those vertical structures on the landscape um, that may harbor predators. They're going to avoid that. Um, and it's really particular for sharp-tailed grouse and prairie chickens where they want big, open landscapes. Yeah. Because yep. we've gotten questions over the past decade about even um, wind turbines. Mm-hmm. You know, wind turbines from a pheasant perspective, not all that big a deal. But from a, from a sharp-tailed grouse or, or prairie chicken, just like you mentioned, it's the, those vertical structures that mm-hmm. they have a, an aversion to. And um, having some of those wind turbines on the landscape can have an impact on where those prairie grouse live. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, it, you know, the other thing we think about with, particularly up here in the northern part of the states, in the pheasant range, is the impact of CRP on pheasants. Um, it also creates a tremendous amount of benefit for sharp tails and, and greater prairie chickens too, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, they're using the same kinds of habitat for nesting, for brood rearing, um, but it's even more important, I would say, in terms of the kinds of habitat that they require. If you've got a little bit of grass, you can have a little bit of pheasants and quail, mm-hmm. but you're probably not going to have prairie chickens and sharpies. If you want prairie chickens and sharpies, you got to have a lot of grass. When you say a lot, how, how many acres are we talking? I wouldn't, I couldn't say an exact amount, but thousands yeah. of acres. Yeah, of it's more than a grass. section. Yeah. It's more than two you could, sections. You can put 40 of grass out or, or 160 of grass out and you'll have some pheasants on yeah. there. But you need thousands of acres of grass to make, to make prairie grouse. Yeah, and these, you can see that when you go, oh, when you head out west into some of the, the classic haunts, for prairie grouse, you know, I, I think about the Fort Pier grasslands in South Dakota, or Buffalo Gap grasslands in South Dakota, the Flint Flint Hills in Kansas, uh, areas, you know, Montana, it's like everything in northeastern Montana feels like it's big open country. Mm-hmm. Uh, some obvious places across North Dakota where you don't see people and you, you just have great big expanses of grassland. And, and you think about it, you know, those, those chickens and they sh- those sharpies, you know, in the morning and the evening, you know, there are some folks that pass shoot prairie grouse, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they fly from roosting areas to feeding areas. And, and for they miles. Could be, for miles, right? Yep. They, and, and which ultimately from a biological perspective is why their meat is red as opposed to white, right? Correct. Yep. The hemoglobin in their blood um, makes it red, and they have more hemoglobin because they have to be more capable of making those long-distance flights, which is also why they're a little bit better adapted to the winter climates, why you can find them further north mm-hmm. um, than pheasants and quail uh, because they can fly out of the snow. If they need to fly 20 miles to get somewhere where there's not so much snow and mm. you know find a tree to perch in, they can do that. So... 
it's a, an adaptation to survive winter in a way. Because hmm. it is, you know, from a meat perspective, when you open up a sharp tail or a prairie chicken, it looks like a duck, yep. right? I mean, it's, it's dark red uh, meat that, you know, some folks will claim, you know, it's a stronger, gamier, but it's all about how much that bird flies as opposed to its, you know, rough grouse wood, wooded cousin or, you know, the even more a little bit distant relative to pheasant. Pheasant's legs are dark meat because they run first mm -hmm. as opposed to fly. And the rough grouse, you know, is is almost all He's white just a white meat. delicacy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and whereas, you know, sharp tails and chickens, just blood red, dark mm -hmm. meat. In some cases, purple meat because yep. they fly so much. Yep. Um, all right. So... As we uh, as we transition, well, I, the other thing I want to just touch on from a habitat perspective, it, if you've never hunted prairie grouse, and it, this is particular to sharpies and chickens, because as you mentioned, sage grouse is synonymous with sage, so we kind of have to treat sage grouse independently, and prairie chickens and sharp tails sort of as their own, right? Because those two sort of need the same things sage grouse mm -hmm. a little bit different um if you have never hunted sharp tails or chickens before and you're a hardcore pheasant hunter you can't just go out in search of prairie grouse in the same spots you're expecting pheasants even if it's a great big expanse of grass you have to look for s slightly different things beyond just great big expanses of, of grassland right I think in, on there's some overlap. You're okay. going to find some sharp tails or prairie chickens if they're in that area, in the same places that you'd find pheasants sometimes. But I think the biggest difference is just uh, they're going to be dispersed more, and you're going to have to walk more to find those birds than you know walking the edge of a couple right. crop fields and they're going to be hanging out on that edge. I mean, you're going to have to walk coolies and and over hills and and on and on. Um, Here's how I always think of it. If I'm hunting prairie grouse and I'm in a spot and I think, man, there should be a pheasant here. I'm like, nah, there's probably not any sharp tails or chickens. And if I'm hunting um, a place, you know, where I, where I, it, that's, that's the distinction I make. If it looks like pheasant cover, mm -hmm. um, it's probably not prairie grouse cover. And if it looks like there'd never be a pheasant here, it might be prairie, grou prairie grouse cover. Right. So. Well, I, well, I was going to say the difference I, th I think sometimes is um, like the overlap of how dense the cover is. Sometimes you can flush roosters in the thickest grass you could ever imagine or in cattails, for example. Mm -hmm. You're probably not going to find right. prairie grouse in those areas. But you'll find prairie grouse in the thinnest, right. sparsest little cover where you're like, I don't even think there's a bird that could be in there. I'd see it and then they'll be in there. So. Somewhere in the middle of those two, you might find both. But for the most part, you're, you want to look for something less. And you wrote an article, again, um, pointing folks to the super issue, um, CARP, about uh, some tips for focusing in on, on sharp-tailed grouse. For some of our members that have not cracked the uh, super issue yet, or, or maybe there's some listeners that are not yet members and we'll encourage them to join, what are, uh, what are a few highlighted tips that uh, you'd offer up for sharp-tail hunting? Well, we sort of started with it. You know, it, it, everything for every type of hunting 
goes to habitat. And we've talked about the habitat. Mm -hmm. Look for that lighter grass. If you're in something that looks like it's good for pheasants or it's going to hold a covey of quail, it's probably not prairie grouse cover. Look for thinner, grassier cover and not as tall either. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always, I always, I sort of liken it to big, to different big game. Hunting pheasant, I equate pheasants to whitetails, thick cover. I equate prairie grouse to pronghorns hmm. they want to see mm -hmm. and like Stephen mm -hmm. just said they will stand up on the highest promontory the lowest grass and they'd see you coming and they'll just th they know so that's the first that's the first tip uh the second is you know necessities we've talked about it you know they're they're number one their number one goal is survival and that's vision, that's being up and away from everything else, isolated and, and be able to see. And then, but you do also need food and water. So vision, I want to ask on vision real quick, um, and this is a biology question. I, I have a mm -hmm. buddy, you probably know him, Matt Brewer, yep. up in uh, um, the Bemidji area, yep. and he's, he's a member of the Minnesota Sharp-Tailed Grouse Society. And he talks about in that part of the state, uh, having those sharp-tailed groups have sentry birds mm -hmm. that are, you know, there might be a 20-bird covey, 19 birds will be on the ground eating or picking or whatever, and then one bird will be in the tree, carp vision, looking yeah. out for, you know, Just predators and things coming in. Sure. Do you buy that? I would, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I've, I've witnessed like it, but it's, it's weird. I've witnessed it in Minnesota. Yes. But, I, like, you know, in South Dakota and the Fort Pitt, there's no trees, mm -hmm. largely no trees, and they're not operating the same and way. And you bring up a good distinction, though, and this is, I get my wires crossed sometimes talking about these things because in Minnesota, the sharp-tailed grouse are a little bit different than the sharp-tailed grouse out west. I mean, here people oftentimes call sharp-tailed grouse brush birds, mm -hmm. and, and they need they need open space and they need the grassland habitat, but they will live in the densest willow brush that you can yeah. find. Or in um, in the case of the Namakagan Barrens in Wisconsin, they're living in scrub oak. Yeah, and you're hundred percent their brush birds. Mm -hmm. I'd say the same about the the residents that can hunt chickens in Minnesota, which I've done since that hunt's inception, is one of the first tips I learned from the locals up in northwestern Minnesota, where our prairie chicken range is. They said. They called them the red willows. They said, go to those little red mm -hmm. willows, those knee-high red yep. willows, and it works. That's yeah. where they are. Same yep. is true in North Dakota because if you focus on the willows in North Dakota hunting Sharpies, you tend to find the birds. Yep. But again, if you head south to Fort Pierre, I, I rarely find birds relating to brush yep. or bushes. They're just flat out in the grass, although... I have found them related to your second point, which is food. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so that brings up um, our next part of that tip is uh, prairie grouse, much like quail and pheasants, when they're young, their diet consists of insects, mm -hmm. right, Saban? So yep. um, typically that transition from summertime into fall, when there's still grasshoppers alive and the frost hasn't killed them yet, Prairie grouse, young, well, young and old alike, are eating grasshoppers, right? Absolutely. Yep. So if you can find insects early in the season, you can find prairie grouse. Right. Finding insects out 
on a big grassland complex <laughs> is a lot harder than finding a wheat field. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but if you do, because yeah. uh, part of it, it relates back to pollinators, right? Sure. If you can yep. find some, uh, some prairie flowers, even if they're dead, that attracted insects and that attracts prairie grouse. Yep. And I've been in situations like up on uh, the Glacial Ridge uh, complex in northwestern Minnesota where a burn had went through and everything was really thick lots mm-hmm. of thick grass after this burn had come up but there were spots in some of the gravelier areas where it was full of forbs because they just grew a little bit better than the grasses did in that open area and you'd hit those edges and you could call it you'd see one coming up and you go i bet you there's See? a chicken next yeah. to that and yeah. then there would be and i've seen the exact same thing um with rough grouse early season rough grouse if you can walk a grassy logging trail that's not in use anymore mm-hmm. you know and you see some goldenrod or some old flowers poking up I, you know I, I i have a absolute spot in my mind in the snake river state forest where i know every early season when i get to this rise of a hill and I look down at the bottom, it's just going to be loaded with grasshoppers and the rough grouse. If I hit it, you know, 10 o'clock to 3 o'clock when it's not wet and dewy, Mm -hmm. there is going to be a covey of birds in there. And the same is true with prairie grouse. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other food source that I always connect prairie grouse with, from my perspective, is buffalo berries and rose hips. You guys have similar experiences? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. If you can find, again, if you can find berries or seeds, you're, you're pr- and that tends to be just a hair later yeah. in the season, right? And if you can get good at identifying those from, from a distance, I mean, you're that's right. helpful. But yeah. it's, again, the same kind. It's a lot easier to find the uh, wheat field or something on an edge. So it takes a, some practice. You'll be standing in the food source before you realize that I'm standing in it. You know, that happened so. to me last year, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was it, There was chaos right after I figured out where I was because of <laughs> a flush of probably, it had to have been three, group, three coveys of sharp tails all together. Just there were birds everywhere I looked. And I missed the first shot because I was so. <laughs> but well, that's, thankfully, that's a I, given. <laughs> yeah, I only needed one, and I connected to my second shot. Yeah. But yeah, when when I find a patch of buffalo berries, it's like game on. Yeah, yeah. And when you get to there, like we were mentioning before, these big expanses of grasslands. Um, like I've I've been to Nebraska a number of times, and every time I go, I think it's so much harder to figure out where to go because everything looks, mm-hmm. it's just grass after grass after grass. And there's some less grays and then not grays and grays and not grays. And it's, you have to be able to key in on those other kinds of habitat, the flowers, the rose hips. And if you can start to figure out how to identify that from a distance and go, well, that hillside has got some, let's head over to that one and then walk until you find the next patch and, and just keep looking for that, that, can lead you some to some success. You, you mentioned, uh, and I'm going to get to water in a second because that was the other one, but you mentioned hillsides. Mm-hmm. Um, the wind and hills play a, a role in, in finding prairie grouse more so than, than pheasants, don't, doesn't it? I would say so, um, but... I don't know that I've mastered that, that technique that, yet. It is, a little, it is a little harder, <laughs> but my, my perception, and I'm, I don't know that this is 100% accurate, but tends to be the leeward side of hills on a windy day where the birds are a bit out of the wind uh, that's where you're going to find them they they you know they typically find a little shade there and they're out of the, you know and it's always blowing on the prairie they tend to be on the uh, leeward side 
Is that a, your what yeah, you found? Yeah, that's when I was hunting in Kansas last year for chickens. I got I shot a prairie chicken with my five month old puppy because of that tip, yep. and that came from a long, long time early season mm-hmm. Kansas prairie chicken hunter. And we're having a little trouble finding birds. And and other than giving us some tips on the where to, one of his main tips was hunt the spur ridges, the lee side of the spur ridges. Mm -hmm. Don't get up on – the main ridge might be okay, but he said go go up and down those spurs Mm -hmm. off the main – on the lee side three-quarters of the way up. And it's awfully specific, but it worked. (laughs) And the challenge is uh, running behind your dog, right? Because if you think about coming over a ridge – on the lee, uh, you know, you're walking up it on the windward side, mm-hmm. and you get over the top. That very likely, you know, without any um, fault of your own, you're going to blow those birds out because they're they're looking right. You crest the hill, and boom, they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can come at them from behind, um, it, easier said than done, right? right? But but you tend to stack the deck in your favor a little bit. Yeah, just get on the lee side and follow the crest of the spur ridge, but be yeah. like three quarters of the way up it. Well, and it's like you said, it's it maybe don't always just ride the crest, like weave up and down, yeah. which sounds sounds easy too. But uh, you know, four hours into a prairie grassland hunt, yeah. you're weaving up and down the hills. You can, <laughs> you're like, I thought this is how to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh my gosh. Well, that that was that's and that's one of the other tips in my in my article in the super issue is um, and maybe not talking the steep steep country mm-hmm. here, but if you're in more just the rolling type terrain, that's we're not going to call it flat, but you know, don't take off and walk straight into the wind and let your dog quarter back and forth. You take the crossing the wind you go whether it's a half mile or whatever and then you go up into the wind a little then you cross back so you're crossing with your dog Mm -hmm. all the time and you're not just taking a straight path uh across the prairie you're just always going cross wind you're just going back and forth and back and forth and then you can hunt both you can hunt both ways back and, that's and forth a great to the tip. vehicle uh sorry i didn't mean to no, step I, on you but that's a great tip uh for pheasant hunters yep. too yeah, and frankly for quail hunters it, there's too much straight line yep. hunting uh if you can zigzag do curly cues birds are running all <laughs> right birds yeah, are absolutely. running because we you know you think about rabbit hunters they they absolutely know that rabbits are running and quartering back behind them. The same is true of pheasants. Pheasants are spending more time running around you, evading you with their legs than, than most of us recognize. So if you just walk the same edge path that everybody else is, um, the birds, you know, by honestly the second day because their only mode is to try to survive, they're mm-hmm. figuring that out by the second day of the season. Yep. Yeah. Um, water, you mentioned water as a key, uh, give me a little bit, cause that's one thing that I haven't, uh, spent that much time figuring out from a prairie grouse perspective. Well, like to allude back to what Saban was just saying about when you find some habitat and you, they, you know, oh, they're in the buffalo berries. Let's just go buffalo berry to buffalo berry patch. If you're having a little trouble finding birds, I always, 
here's one of those words I like. I always glom on. I glom over to a windmill, a stock tank, mm -hmm. somewhere where there's some water. Because as much as these birds like to fly, they like to loaf too. And they got to have places to loaf. Water can be just a guideline to help you to get to just give you a target to go to give you a little hope a little place to go maybe you'll find something there maybe you won't you'll find something on the way but they need water and they're going to hit it and <clears throat> i think a lot of pass shooting might happen on usually on the way to feed but water can be a part yeah. of that too um so just use water as, as one of those beacons when you're yeah. out on the prairie, one of those anchor points you can go to. An, another, another, and it relates to food and water and their daily travels that we're talking about is get out and scout. If you don't want to hunt mm -hmm. at the crack of dawn, sit on a promontory with some binoculars and watch those birds, and, and you will see some. I mean, we all know places, whether it's Nebraska, Kansas, South Dakota, Montana, you can see birds moving. And maybe you'll see a spot and you'll want to go there. Maybe you'll, you'll know where they're coming from or you'll figure out where they're going, and uh, it'll, it'll, put you, it'll give you at least a guide to know, thank goodness there's some birds over in that 3,000 acres there, which is better than there's birds over in that 30,000 acres yeah. over there. Yeah, I've definitely done that in the past. In my last time hunting prairie chickens in Minnesota, um, we walked this whole big grassy unit and didn't see a single bird. And then later on that day, we came back in the evening and I said, there's got to be birds out there. And we just sat and watched the birds fly from right where we had walked. I mean, I don't know if they weren't there when we were walking yeah. or if we just missed them. And they flew off into wheat field that was private property next door so then we put them to bed watched them go back and the next day in midday we hiked through there and found them yeah that's that that, uh, that is a, a tremendous um piece of advice car because <laughs> from a big game perspective even turkeys everybody knows the value of scouting but it's not talked about a lot from an upland bird perspective no absolutely not and um it, it works. We got Anthony Hauk, our former PR director, and I hunted chickens two seasons ago in Minnesota. And that the only re the reason we, we would have, who knows what would have happened otherwise, but the reason we got our birds were we were out there scouting the evening before, you know, a few hours of work, saw a flock fly in to public land. That's where we were the next morning, mm -hmm. and we were done in two hours and heading up farther north to go on sharp tails. Um, but s scouting works, and, and it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Another point that you talked about water, and I haven't necessarily keyed in on water before from a bird perspective, but where it's critical for prairie grouse hunting, particularly early season, is for your dogs. Yep. Because <clears throat> we're talking about in Montana, September 1st, then we have some openers, the, I think, September 7th and, and 14th. And we're talking about warm weather bird hunting. It's fall, but it's warmer weather. And typically by 11 o'clock, it's really starting to mm -hmm. heat up. And if you can key on, on those stock tanks and, and, and ponds and get your dog some water, but also get immerse, them. immerse them, get them dunked in that water. Exactly. Cool them Maybe off. Maybe dunk yourself. Don't, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to that, but you'll extend the length of your hunting yeah, day you could if get you another, go from water to water. Mm -hmm. You get another hour out of it each time maybe um, yeah. to, to a certain point. A um, couple other tips I put in there, um, you know, 
dissecting a grouse's day, we've talked a lot about that, but hit those high, those those forby places, those grasshopper spots in the middle of the day. They're up there loafing. They're, they're maybe chasing grasshoppers. Hunt next to stubble early and late in the day. You might get, there might be birds in the stubble. And they're just like a pheasant. They'll, they'll run. They might run into some cover, work an edge, um, you know, hunt near water if it's hot. I mean, just simple, simple ideas like that. Uh, uh, can get you birds. Um, we've talked about coursing instead of going straight mm-hmm. into the wind, back and forth. Um, I put one one tip in there about loads. Everybody's got their own idea mm-hmm. on loads, and I've never thought that prairie grouse were especially tough. Mm-hmm. They're not like a pheasant. I like I, I carry a 12 gauge and I use seven and a half shot, mm-hmm. and uh, some people like six shot and and. Um, Everybody's got a different opinion. That's just mine, and that's what well, I that's put in good, there. We'll, we'll we'll hit that right now. What? So you use twelve gauge, seven and a half shot for prairie grouse. What, what are you shooting? Twelve gauge, six, six, six yeah. So I what what choke do you like to shoot? It depends on how the how the birds have been behaving. Um, when I was in Nebraska a couple of years ago, I didn't flush a single bird that was uh, within thirty yards. Mm-hmm. And I went to my modified, but before that, I was using improved. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as I switched over to a modified, then it was like <laughs> the first bird flushed within ten feet. So yeah, but I use improved cylinder. Improved. Okay, yeah. so I'm I'm lighter and more open than either of you guys. Um, I wholeheartedly agree that it doesn't take much to take a, a sharp tail or a, a prairie chicken down there slightly tougher than a rough grouse and we all mm-hmm. know like one bb you'll take a rough grouse down i think a wad will take a rough yeah grouse honestly <laughs> a loud uh, bang but uh <laughs> but in the other thing rough when you take down a sharpie like honestly eight out of ten um if you just hit it that bird will be they're not when they hit They'll the gr- ground they're, they're not there. runners right. like pheasants they even they like oh it, it's a flesh food you know it's like monty <laughs> python they're jumping up and down waiting yep. for you mm-hmm. um but i use uh <laughs> right <laughs> i use the lightest shotgun that i carry because you are gonna walk your tail mm-hmm. off so um i haven't carried a 12 gauge for prairie grouse in in years um I own a 28 gauge and I'm just not quite confident enough <laughs> to carry that all the time. But so my, my go-to has been a 20 gauge, seven and a half shot. I use the same as my rough grouse load with a skeet choke on it. And mm-hmm. that's, yeah. um, I, that's just shooting over pointing dogs and the uh, idea that if I can have a open pattern and get two BBs in, I'm going to get that. Yeah. That, that's my approach too. If I get a BB in there, uh, I'm good. That's why I stick with that, that improved cylinder choke and, and, and that seven and a half shot. But I know the six, if you're getting distance shots, six is going to help. Yeah. On, and early, and it changes, right? Cause yeah. early this season, you're going to have a much greater chance and, of being close. And it'll change if if you're thinking bonus pheasant or something. Yeah. <laughs> then you yeah, got to go. Yeah. Season, yeah. You're right. Things change as you progress and pheasant season starts opening up. And, um, you know, as you get into mid-October trying to get close to prairie grouse, gets even more difficult (laughs) Uh, so a lot of the comments we're talking about are you know to get you primed for the opening yeah that's that's a good point you know you you might change it up but Mm -hmm. none of us are completely right and none of us are completely wrong at at this table here and it's probably it could be a early as lighter shot later as heavier shot type of scenario Mm -hmm. 
So with, with that comment, let's transition into the, the fork. Oh, I got one got, more got tip. One more tip. It'll right. only take one yeah. minute. And it is, um, if, you're a, if you've hunted sharptails before, you know this. If you haven't, listen. And these two guys, Bob and Sabin, will corroborate my, evi- my uh, evidence. And that is. <laughs> and we don't even know what it's yeah. coming yet. <laughs> if, you, if you get a, some sharptails flushing and you don't know, should I take that shot? Should I not? You know, don't hesitate to get you're behind over there because there's more More, are going to come. Don't blow your shots right away, but don't wait forever. And don't stand there and think, oh, there's some closer to me. There are not. Get in gear and get over there and get a shot because they will not all flush like quail, like a little bumblebee batch. They're going to go onesies, twosies, threesies in a series. So I'm going to let you guys take it from there. Well, that that's a really good piece of advice because they are covey birds and some of them will hold to the point where you probably would have walked away if yes. it wasn't for a good dog. Yep. Um, but yeah, one of the stories I have is a buddy of mine had a, a lab and I remember him saying the exact words, there's no more birds here, stupid, was what he said as the <laughs> dog is just going nuts after we had flushed a big covey. And uh, there was a second bunch and a third single, and the dog was still going crazy. And he said that, and then the bird got up and he shot it, and he had to apologize to his yeah. dog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right on, Carp. Um, there's always, always um, stragglers. So you start seeing the birds flush. You're absolutely right. Get up there. And if you think that they're all gone still, wait. Yep. There's one bird that's either hanging super tight or your dog's going to get on a trail of one bird that's running away. And they and, will run. And, yeah, they, they will run away. Oh, um, yeah. Um, and it's normally a direction that you weren't anticipating. You know, it'll be a, w- the covey will flush to the east, but that one bird's running north like crazy, yeah. right? And, mm-hmm. and get behind your dog because there's always going to be a straggler. You're, that's a great point. Great point. All right. Done with tips. Yeah. All right. So the prairie grouse primer, we just uh, completed our state-by-state forecast, and we're going to not cover every single state, but um, some of your key prairie grouse states. Um, And again, brought to you uh, by our friends at the Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism, starting the prairie grouse primer, starting the season uh, the first opener, Montana, on September 1st. What can – and Montana's a big state, so they kind of break it up into a little bit of regions. Carp, give us a, a, a overview of what we can expect out of the state of Montana this year. Well, the, the overview of overviews before we get right into Montana is that almost to a state, the news is there was lots of rain, the cover is beautiful, Well, I'll I'll even back up a little more. Winter was hard, but prairie grouse know how to handle it. Yeah, to Saban's point earlier. There's lots of rain in the spring, lots of rain in the summer. We don't know exactly how the prairie grouse reacted to that as far as the hatch goes, but the 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 hope is good that, that there's the potential there mm-hmm. and you just you just can't track these birds and roadside count them like you do pheasants um start let's start with southeast montana um that now <laughs> i just said about mild winter they actually had a or about heavy winter their their winter in northeastern 
in southeastern Montana was actually a little milder than some places, but they had the same wet, cool spring and early summer as everybody else. Um, storms. They feel Justin Hughes, uh, g small game manager in that corner of our world, he thinks birds and brood numbers are going to be similar to last year in southeastern Montana. So um, be prepared to put some miles on, but expect similar type numbers. I if you like southeastern Montana, and there's a lot of country down there, mm -hmm. um, it's going to be good. Um, but as with any prairie grouse hunting, you're going to work for them. Um, now, some with some of the cover so good, maybe that's portending well for future years. Um, so I think if I had plans to go to southeastern Montana, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change them. I, I'd go. Um, I, there's no reason not to. Northeast is, um, last year was a tough year in, in northeastern Montana. Sharptail harvest was really down last year up there, uh, well below the 10-year averages. So the hope there is um, that that we had this above average moisture because they were they were having a lot of drought over there in northeastern mm -hmm. Montana that better cover is going to be better a little better grass better bugs and have a better hatch there's anecdotal evidence of good broods up there in some places that doesn't mean there's a uh, a, a brood of sharp tails behind every corner but it's better than not seeing broods. Yeah, and that's where I opened up my year last um, last season on September first in northeastern Montana, and you know it, it that part of the state suffered through a drought in 2017, and you know with a heavy big time drought like they had, it takes a little while to bounce back. Bird numbers were were lighter than we had hoped out there last fall, but we still shot birds, yep. and it is some of the prettiest. Uh, landscapes on the planet um, so and, and like you said the, it's been a wetter spring and in, into summer that across the majority of the United States which is going to bode well for improving the habitat habitat not just this season but long term that that's the basics of, Mo of Montana yeah well but north central out towards that um, um, you know I think that's out towards the Lewistown area too there's a fair number of birds that direction as well um i think we'll i think i'd, I'd liken that to northeastern montana to sort of the same situation it's a little a little higher and drier as you get out in yeah. that north central um so i i'd consider it the same way if you're getting up in that north central um you're gonna pr I, I would call it a notch better than last year okay uh so again montana you've got uh your Sharp tail and Hungarian partridge season starting September 1st, running through January 1. And the sage grouse season September 1st through the 30th. Um, Sabin's, Sabin is our Montana representative this year. You're heading out there September 7th. And, I like what I heard. And yeah. uh, this will be your first trip out to Montana, Yep, right? first time out to Montana. Yep, I'm excited. Good. Uh, let's move, move along. What's the next state on your radar? Kyle? Which one we want to do next? Well, let's do the right, uh, um, to the, the neighbor, North Dakota. Okay. Uh, that state, North Dakota opens up September 14th for sharp-tailed grouse. I know a lot of folks, um, you, you know, here in the headquarters office of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, 
head towards North Dakota, yep. chasing sharptails. What uh, what can they expect this year? Um, last year was a ch- challenging year in South Dakota or in North Dakota. Excuse me. Um, I think hunters can expect a similar year once again if we get some of these late summer hatches going, some of these uh, late summer broods pull through. Um, I think you could see, you know, regionalized, improved hunting. Um, I wouldn't if I like if, if I were a hunter who likes North Dakota and I do I'm not going there this year but I would I would go I would there's no reason not to there's going to be birds up there um, they had that hard winter but the same in, in some of their in their roadside surveys they're seeing about the same numbers as last year and part of that's related to strong habitat from the rain um, that wet winter uh, they had a lot of snow. Um, I think it's going to be decent. I'd call it decent in North Dakota this year. Um, some of the uh, advice that that we sort of dug up for the report was that that northwest region of the state might be a little better. Um, you're you're getting far out there. You're getting a, 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 you're getting farther away from a, a lot of civilization, which is part of the reason we go prairie grouse hunting anyway. But uh, get west of the Missouri River up there, um, and then you're you're talking. You know that country's a lot like that northeastern Montana. Mm-hmm. It should be it should be pretty good. All right, uh, and again, North Dakota opens up on September 14th and, and runs through January 5th. Let's move to uh, Minnesota. A lot of folks don't think about prairie grouse uh, in, in Minnesota, but there's two opportunities. As you mentioned before, we've got the the lottery prairie chicken hunt, yep. which if you listen into the podcast and uh, are surprised by a lottery, then you're too late because you had to apply before, I think it was August 16th with yep. the deadline. But now you have it on your radar for next year. If, if you think about it. Just don't apply for my unit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's, a, here's something to put in the back of your mind. When you go to Game Fair in, in 2020, you can go to the DNR booth at Game Fair and apply for your uh, prairie chicken lottery. If you're there the first weekend. Oh, if that's true. Because I met him in the booth on the second weekend, yeah. and yep. he said, you're too late to apply. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yep. First, do it the first weekend. So, yeah, then we also have the sharp tails in the northwest part of the state. And the northeast. And the northeast. Northeast. But the majority yep. of the population yep. is in the northwest. Yeah. So, you know, we won't talk too much about prairie chickens. It's uh, it's pretty easy to find where the prairie chickens are you know if you go to the minnesota dnr website study their prairie chicken report you can see the map i always like to tell the little story though that that prairie chickens were they're they were not indigenous to that corner Mm -hmm. of minnesota they were only indigenous to the far southern southeast Hmm. and they the southeast the southeast yep the the savannas down there in the prairie in the southeast Mm -hmm. and they followed the fire and the plow across minnesota and there were times late 1880s to 1900 where there who knows how many but uh, estimates are that they are shooting 750,000 to a million prairie chickens a year in Hmm. minnesota like literally skies black with them because it was that perfect mix of you know prairie chickens are a little more brush oriented than we think or than we know you know that like you were saying before bob different these birds adapt right and when we started plowing and burning 
we made beautiful habitat. Um, so the the, pra the grouse that are up there are native. They were never. They just moved up hmm. there, and mm -hmm. they've. And the reason they're there now is it's the east beach of what was Glacial Lake Agassiz, mm -hmm. the, the, the sea that is the red that is now the Red River Valley. I thought it, I was the biologist. Yeah, that was Look pretty impressive, Carl. <laughs> so that's where they are, up in that northeast. Studied up for this podcast. Northwest. The or north, northwest, excuse yeah. me. Yep, yep, you're right. So uh, sharp-tailed grouse, um, that north, north region, uh, it was a little drier this year. It was very wet last year, too. Um, so... Once again, it's it's sort. Of, I, we don't want to sound like a, a a broken record here, but expect it similar to last year. If mm. if you have spots, you know there are birds there. They had good habitat this year. They should have a they should have a hatch. What do you think? Uh, what do you think, Saban? You're more in that corner of the yep, world I than we are. Get up. I'm hopeful. I'm hoping to get up to Northwest Minnesota at least once this year uh, to hunt sharpies. And uh, I actually think that sometimes it can be a little bit easier in Northwestern Minnesota to find birds. There are definitely fewer birds than in the Western yep. states. Um, but if you can, the habitat is a little bit easier to find down. Not necessarily a good thing. There's just not as much habitat up there. Do you think um, there are more brush oriented up there yeah absolutely yeah and i don't know if it's if it's because maybe it's a little bit of both they've adapted to the brush but also just maybe if you stuck that much brush out in the dakotas you'd find a lot right, of birds right. in it that, but yeah there's just a lot of brush up there one of the cool things about uh northwest minnesota is legitimately uh you have a chance to shoot a sharp tail a ruffed a pheasant a woodcock Yep. All in the same walk. You know, you brought that up, and I, it was one of the things that I always like to mention to people is I know a particular spot, and it's in the Sharptail Range. That's all the, the Sharptail Range of Minnesota, and that's all the more direction I'll give anybody. But it's a 600-acre um, federal public land, and I have flushed sharpies, chickens, woodcock, rough grouse, and pheasants on one 600-acre chunk. And, I mean, there are Hungarian partridge in the area, so it's – it's conceivable I, that there's I'm putting six a, species. I'm putting a GPS tracker on yeah. your car. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a magazine story. <laughs> no, we won't, reveal, we won't reveal <laughs> saving spot. Well, we can make a story about it. I just won't tell you where it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, as we move, uh, let's move south towards South Dakota. We've brought up a couple of South Dakota's key areas already. What's the what's the forecast look like for the pheasant capital of the country to chase prairie grouse this year? Well, I think it's going to be a, a a little better year than last year in South Dakota. I mean, those those who hunted it last year found birds. Um, it wasn't really uh, as good as some years. I think there's hope that, that the hatch happened and, and we're going to have more birds this year. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I got to, to open up, uh, well, I guess it was the, the second weekend of the season I was in Fort Pier, and some folks were struggling and other folks me I, would, <laughs> I had a great i had a great time i was north of you that same weekend in south dakota last year yeah. and uh we were near the missouri and we struggled yeah. quite a bit uh, uh, to find birds and, and some of it is just pure luck mm -hmm. right and then others you know i think for folks that are used to pheasant hunting and hunt prairie grouse the same way you're not going to find success right out of the gap i i try to hunt prairie grouse by myself with my dog maybe two dogs just by myself just because um I, 
I feel like if you get too many folks out there, you you just end up walking too many straight lines yep. and pushing, and you know, in, in, invariably somebody's not in good spots. But if you're walking by yourself and you can kind of carp, as you mentioned. And Sabin, you said the same thing when you get to the top of a hill and you're like, ooh, I think I see Buffalo Berry that direction. You can just charge off in a direction Mm -hmm. as opposed to when you're in a group. It's that magnetic pressure to feel like you got to walk a line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, I always like to say it's, and it sounds sort of funny, be a little disorganized when you're hunting prairie grouse. Maybe, (laughs) Maybe flexible is the right word, but don't, don't, don't plan a transect and stay on it at all costs. Like Saban said, get off, f- figure out where they are or have hunches and follow the hunches and mm-hmm. move. If you're not finding birds, don't keep walking the same stuff you're walking. Find something else. Uh, and, and I think that's going to be I- I- true in South Dakota this year. Their let counts were nearly the same as last year. Let counts don't mean uh, chicks hatched and broods were reared, but at least it tells you there was the potential there. And the cover is is really good uh, because of all the rain. Mm. Now that brings up one tip if you're, especially in South Dakota and when we get in Nebraska, I would also uh, say this tip applies there is have some flexibility or be prepared for road washouts, bad situations mm-hmm. with roads, with all this flooding, uh, especially down the farther south you go. Um, have a plan B ready or be ready to maybe this road is washed out and we're going to have to walk three miles more to get to where the, the darn birds are. Mm. So, yeah, good, good point. Um, so we'll mention again, and maybe I didn't mention this, but uh, South Dakota opened September 21st and their season runs through, through January 5th. And as I see on my notes, um, my apologies to Nebraska. I haven't mentioned the fact that your season, in addition to Montana, also opens on September 1st. So um, I've kind of been going chronologically here, but Nebraska opens just as early as Big Sky yep. Country. What's And you mentioned it, Carp, uh, a very wet uh, spring into summer in Nebraska. What, what What's the forecast for our friends in the Cornhusker State? I, I guess I'd start with the idea that, well, I'm hunting Kansas in the early season, and then I'm hunting South Dakota, and I wish I could get a fit a Nebraska trip in. I think I think Nebraska is probably it's right between those two states. <laughs> <just> gotta... yeah. <laughs> Bob, can I have a two yeah, weeks yeah, off? You got, your, you got your geography all wrong. They're right between. Um, says. So I, I think Nebraska is probably going to be a leading state this year. I think they're going to be good. They their let counts were a little down. Um, and I know they had all that rain. A lot of the rain and flooding was in the east. A lot of the prairie grouse are more in the west. They, they're a little higher for their nesting. I think Nebraska uh, should be a, a good state this year. Um, I think the, they, they had a late spring, um, but a wet summer uh, is going to be good for, for food, for those, those uh, for bugs. So... I I feel positive about Nebraska. Do you know why that is though? I've went to Nebraska for the last for opener for the last three years, and this year I decided to go to Montana. Yeah. <laughs> so now he's telling me yeah. Nebraska is going to probably be the best yeah. one, of course. Well, and Nebraska also, if you can go um, go to the Nebraska Pheasants Forever website or the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission's website, they've got a fun. 
um, contest, the Nebraska Upland Slam. It's the second year of the Upland Slam. You can register to win all sorts of prizes from Orca coolers to a Browning Silver 12-gauge. And the Upland Slam in Nebraska is, um, during the course of the season, uh, successfully bagging a sharp tail, a prairie chicken, a bobwhite quail, and a rooster pheasant. Um, we're all going to go chase those birds anyways. Might as well go register and try to win. Mm -hmm. And Saban's, Saban's Done Paul, he's doing the Arsenio <laughs> Hall for <laughs> folks that are old enough to know what that means. Well, I don't you know did what it that means, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what the Arsenio Hall is? No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't do it last year. I did it the year before. The first year that they opened up that Grand Slam, yeah. I was able to pull it off. So. Nice. Yeah. What was the hardest one to get? Actually, I shot a chicken and a Sharpie on my first day in Nebraska, and they weren't that hard. But those were the only birds that I shot, period, yeah. on that And on that's that the only hunt. time he's ever said the chicken and Sharpie weren't that hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the rest of the trip was pretty tough. Right. Because you would think the chicken would have to be the, the odds-on favorite for the most challenging yes. out of that four, yep. right? Yeah, that was the first. I think that may be the only chicken the first and only chicken I've shot in Nebraska. Other than that, it's been all Sharpies, yeah. Yeah, usually further west. So, All right, moving uh, to our friends to the south in the presenting partners of the Prairie Grouse Primer, our friends in Kansas who, uh, who also are, um, have, have prairie chickens on their, um, on their bag of opportunities. What's the Prairie Grouse outlook for for Kansas, Carp? I think it's good. It's going to be about like last year. Once again, um, weather didn't hit them quite as hard in Kansas uh, for the winter, but wet spring did. Um, reports from the West are that there are broods out there, but they're fewer, but they're bigger. And I think that relates back to the quality of the habitat. Mm. So my, my, my thought is, Kansas is going to be good. It's going to be a lot like last year. We're building some good habitat with all this rain this year. Um, and Kansas has great walk-in opportunities. Yeah, that, they got a million acres of the walk-in hunter access, the WEHA program. The other thing that Kansas has going for them, and you've talked, you've written about this with Chad, again, yep. in the Super Issue. Chad Love is our uh, Quail Forever editor, and the two of you guys met in Kansas last yep. year. To chase uh, to chase chickens, but also to dubs. bag a few doves. Yep, it was it was a great hunt. Um, it was Smoky Hills, uh, central north central Kansas, and uh, I'm going back this year. I, I had such a good time, um, and that that's where I'll open my prairie grouse season on September 15th and get there a couple of days early and just just relax and hunt doves and scout and then and then go at it hard after chickens uh, on the public land there. Uh, we're going to branch out a little bit too uh, over towards the west a little bit. When you're out in that country, it's sort of interesting. You're you're approaching the no hunt zone where there are lesser prairie mm -hmm. chickens mm -hmm. and we're going to push our way a little bit west this year i think and um i because you're you're starting to get out there and the pressure uh, the farther west you go in kansas the pressure just goes down right. and down and down and down and, and you can get on these these walk-ins these uh, uh these walk-in areas and hunt and if folks have never hunted kansas before it is one of the most beautiful places, you know, for not 
growing up near the state of Kansas, I always grew up with a vision of, you know, just flat corn and wheat fields, right? And you get down there and there's some rolling hills and just some beautiful um, landscapes, particularly when you start looking for quail and you get into some bottom areas with the, and, with the oaks. And and we found a lot of quail last year. Not, not a lot of pheasants up in that country, but you're right. I mean, I, I left Kansas last year. My last, my last evening, I sat at a, what I'd call it a mud hole for doves, and the sun was setting. You can see for miles and miles, uh, the doves were done flying, and you can literally all you can hear is is the wind and the mm-hmm. grass, and that's it. And it is so beautiful. It is so quiet. It is so remote. I got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, if you if you own a big running pointing dog, two states that have to be added to your list. And I, I don't want to say bucket list because you should go there every year, right? But two states you should go to are Montana and Kansas because you can get on some big properties yep. and your dog, you know, watching your dog work five, six, seven hundred yards out and then lock up on point, it's just magical. I've got two new puppies. I'm terrified of that right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Kansas. Now we're going to move uh, a little bit further west. Uh, uh, Idaho. Idaho. We have a podcast here not too long ago dedicated to all the um, varied upland opportunities in the state of Idaho. And we mentioned uh, a couple of prairie grouse opportunities in Idaho. What's the forecast look for for our friends out in the in the west idaho's a pretty sa- pretty good sage grouse state i maybe Sabin can talk a little more about that after a minute but uh uh the numbers are down but still there's a there's a lot of habitat in idaho um it, it's 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 a place to consider if you want to go out and get your sage grouse the other option i'd probably say would be montana uh is another one too idaho is a good sharp tail state it's the state i've probably to be honest with you probably shot hunted and shot the most sharp tails in hmm. um it's uh should be similar to the 10-year average uh idaho has has decent amounts of crp and that like in most places is is going to support all your upland game birds um I, the other thing about idaho and bob alluded to this in the podcast is all the other opportunities mm-hmm. there. I mean, it's not just sharp tails. You know, it's you know, Huns would really be uh, the other big one. Yeah, and Chucker. Yep. And I'll be honest with you, I've I've hunted Idaho, and I've hunted in in the same swing, sharp tails going up the sage ridges, blue grouse up towards the timber chasing grasshoppers, and rough grouse coming down the wooded mm-hmm. canyons. Yeah. Uh, probably one of the most you know, thrilling upland hunts of my life. Uh, and that's, so it's that mixed, that mm. mixed bag. Um, and, and that's what I think about when I think about Idaho. Southeast is very good uh, for, for the sharp tails in Idaho. I, th- I think it's going to be good again this year. And you have a lot of huns out there too. Well, and you brought up uh, sage grouse and, and to round out the final state in our prairie grouse primer uh, it is the place, the top place. It is, it's the equivalent of South Dakota for pheasants. It's Wyoming for sage grouse. Wyoming is your destination if 
You got one state to pick to go chase sage grouse. Wyoming is the state to go to. What's uh, what's hunting prospects for sage grouse in Wyoming? Well, they our reports are that, that there was a pretty bad blizzard uh, in late last April and right into May. And that could have, it probably did affect nests, but there's hope that um, there was some renesting. Sage grouse will renest, according to my biolo- biological sources. Maybe Saban, <laughs> Saban can can corroborate that. Um, and they're hoping for some renesting because the cover's been so good there, because they're wet too. And as we all know, in Wyoming, you're you're in that rain shadow, uh, you know as the rain goes so goes the cover so it's that continual yin and yang between how much is how much rain is too much and how much is not enough and how good is the cover and is it going to wash out the chicks or provide you know provide food for them so that that hunt area one is uh still that that classic wyoming sage grouse habitat and uh, for folks interested in sage grouse in Wyoming, Area 1, uh, pretty short season, starts September 21, runs through the 30th. Uh, same dates for Area 4, and then Sharpies in the state of Wyoming uh, run September 1st. There's another September 1 opener running through December 31st. And that rounds out uh, the states that we're going to cover in in the Prairie Grouse Primer. You can read all of those forecasts in greater detail on the website, pheasantsforever.org. And quailforever.org. quailforever.org. Yep, you Um, can get to it right from the homepage. It's a a big banner on the homepage. Just click there and you'll go and you can, all the states will be in, in, they're, they're all in one one row we just saw right there scroll up and down and we'll thank um one more time the kansas department wildlife parks and tourism for being our partners in providing this forecast you know they're they're tremendous sponsor of the organization and uh um, believe in what we're doing so thanks to to the state of kansas if you haven't hunted kansas before i would encourage you to get there because i i'd I go just about every year to Kansas. It's one of the greatest places to chase birds. As we round out the Prairie Grouse Primer podcast, I'm going to look to each of you guys for sort of a hot tip that uh, you'll offer to our listeners. Um, I, I guess we'll throw one other thing out there. When, you, when you're reading the full detail of the primer on the websites, please join Click on uh, the Join tab and join either Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever. Um, all that habitat work we're doing that benefits pheasants and quail also benefits prairie grouse. Uh, we've, we're intimate partners in the Sage Grouse Initiative. We're doing all this habitat work benefiting pollinators, monarch butterflies. If you care about sharp tails more than pheasants, no problem at all but we do still need your membership. If you love honeybees and monarch butterflies better than quail, we don't fault you at all, but we still need your membership to create the habitat benefiting all of them. So pheasantsforever.org, quailforever.org. Sabin Adams, hot tip for the prairie grouse hunter. A hot tip. I think the biggest thing is we talked about, we give a lot of tips and some of them are almost like, contradictory okay go on the tops of the hills but also walk the brush and get into the big grassland complexes but find the edge (laughs) and i think 
the best tip that I can give somebody, when I started hunting prairie grouse, um, I read some magazine articles and stuff, got the tips like that, and it, it can be a little intimidating. The tip is go get off, get off the couch, get on your feet, and start walking because you're not going to find them if you don't go do it. Um, don't be too intimidated. Just get out and start looking for them because you'll, you'll figure it out over time. And then, and then listen to this again and you'll go, Oh <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, that makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. I don't, Saban stole mine. <laughs> get out, but, yeah. Which was the, uh, opening spread of the super issue. Um, get out and do. So that that's just to build off what Saban said. He's, He's 100% absolutely right, spot on, that you've got, a, you've got only so many falls to hunt. Your bird dog has even fewer. And if you're not taking your dog out to do this, you should be. Because, like, it's not rocket science. It's, it's leg work. It's footwork. It's finding a spot and getting out and going. Um, you, <clears throat> you can't make a mistake. The only mistake you can make is not going. You're never, I always say this, I've never regretted the effort and the work and the intensity it takes to go on a hunt, but I have regretted not doing it. Mm -hmm. And make this the year. Don't wait. If you haven't chased prairie grouse yet, whether it's sharp tails or chickens or sage grouse, which I haven't yet done and I have to go do, mm -hmm. just do it because you can't make a mistake. Uh, you're not getting any younger. Your dog isn't. And you've heard us talk about, and you, you, can't, you can't put it in words what it's like to be out in some of these places, public lands that we all own, and be able to look for miles and miles and know I can walk all that. That's public. My dog and I can hunt that. You can't. You can't compare it to anything else, and uh, just the feeling of freedom of being out in prairie golf's country. And even if you only get one, and even if you don't get any, maybe next year you will, but the experience is going to stay yeah. with you. Just do it. Uh, great words of wisdom. Um, I, I'll, uh, I'll let you guys, because you said it very eloquently, appeal to the emotional. Um, hot tip, get out there and do it. I'll be, I'll go the practical route. Um, and, and this is from doing it a number of years. Uh, folks, if you're used to hunting pheasants or rough grouse, when you go prairie grouse hunting, lighten your load. Mm -hmm. Go light. The, the heaviest thing you should carry is water for the dog. And that's the other tip is make sure you got water for your dogs yeah. when you're prairie grouse hunting. But... Um, grab the lightest gun you have, um, bring the lightest boots yes. you can find, right? Because you're not, you're Don't not, wear your mucks. you're not slogging <laughs> through cattails here. Like, honestly, if, uh, you get a nice pair of hiking high tops that, um, you know, that are light, wear them prairie grouse hunting because you are going to walk probably on the magnitude is of four times as much four times further than you do pheasant hunting you easily you, you mm -hmm. don't have the grasses pulling against your legs like you do pheasant or quail hunting um so there that that uh, that push and pull doesn't exist when you're prairie grouse hunting 
but there's up and downs, yep. <laughs> right? Yep. And you're going to have to put on some miles. So walk light, carry only what you need. And um, the other tip is if you, if you are fortunate enough to put a couple in the vest, um, don't listen to what people say about them not tasting good. You know, you'll hear a lot yep. of folks say that they're too gamey, um, that they don't like eating them. They just turn them into jerky. Well, if that's how you feel, 1783 Berkeley Circle, St. Paul, Minnesota, <laughs> ship them my way. I love prairie chickens. I love sharp tails. couple tips. You got to cook them medium rare. Don't overcook them. Medium rare on the grill, cook them fresh, eat them out on the prairie for crying out loud with a yep. can of Coors Light and you will be in love. <laughs> uh, the other thing is if, if you do think that they're stronger flavor and, you know, frankly, they are stronger flavor. I just happen to like the flavor. But if you think they're stronger, treat them like you would um, a Chinese stir fry, a spicy Szechuan stir fry sauce. Yep. Um, slice that meat up uh, like you were going to make beef broccoli or, or a Szechuan dish. And, um, again, saute them rare with a little bit of sauce and some vegetables, and you will not disappoint. If you Google my name and uh, spicy Szechuan sharp tails with Bob St. Pierre, and there'll be a recipe that How pops do we spell up. Szechuan? Szechuan. <laughs> Szechuan. It's S-Z, and then... You're on your own after that. <laughs> but uh, I, I happen to love all up on game birds, including Sharpies and chickens. And um, uh, they, they are, you know, and, and when you eat that bird that you've worked so hard walking for behind your bird dog and you remember that just gorgeous landscape, it makes it taste all the sweeter. All right, folks, that has been this episode of On the Wing Podcast. It's your Prairie Grouse Primer Podcast. And in the immortal words of Saban Adams and Tom Carpenter, get the heck out there and do it because <laughs> they are fun. Thanks for listening. Check us out at pheasantsforever.org, quailforever.org. And it's almost here, folks. <laughs> it's almost here. We'll see you in a field in a couple of weeks. Thanks very much.